Hello and welcome to Regional Classics, a podcast from the University of Oxford, which reflects and celebrates the diverse voices of Oxford classicists, past and present, from different parts of the UK, all the while creating thought-provoking conversations, breaking down barriers, and showing that if you want to study the ancient world, any aspect, politics, history, art, science, literature, culture, and much more, then you can. Oxford classicists do not and need not come from only a narrow cross-section of society. This episode features three Oxford classicists from Northern Ireland. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Sarah Cullinan-Herring, an alumna of both Oriel and University Colleges and now a Fellow and Tutor in Classics at Wadham College. She previously held teaching positions at Balliol and Trinity Colleges. Also by Jenneth Evans, once a classics undergraduate at Jesus College, then a medievalist, she is now studying for a doctorate in English at St Edmund's Hall, affectionately known as Teddy Hall. And finally, by Professor Peter Stewart, a fellow of Wolfson College and formerly based at the Courtauld Institute in London, he's now the director of Oxford's Classical Art Research Centre. A very warm welcome to you all. Thank you for being on this podcast. Peter, I wonder if you can just start us off by giving a sense of where exactly you're from in Northern Ireland and how you first encountered the ancient world. Uh, Well, I was born and brought up in Belfast. And uh, I think like many people, my first experience of the classical world was at primary school. Uh, you know, being read Greek myths. Uh, and then, uh, you know, when one of the primary school teachers went off for a honeymoon in uh, the Bay of Naples, came back with lots of slides of Pompeii, which really captivated me. And more experiences like that, particularly to do with archaeology and archaeological sites. So I think, you know, long before I was in a position to even think about studying Latin or anything like that, I think it was fixed in, in my brain. Uh, when I was older, I did have the chance at secondary school to study Latin and uh, started learning ancient Greek for myself as well. And that sort of moved me a little bit away from archaeology, actually, towards classics in general as a, a degree. Uh, and I ended up uh, going to Cambridge to read classics. And Janet? Hi, yeah. So, uh, yeah, similar similar to Peter, uh, kind of my earliest encounter with the ancient world. I uh, was also Greek myths and stuff like that. Like I distinctly remember being really young and looking up loads of constellations and their names and the stories behind them and stuff like that. So like Orion and Pegasus. Um, so, yeah, from a really young age, I uh, loved all of that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I didn't ever really have an opportunity to kind of study classics at school. Um, so I'm from kind of uh, in the northwest of Northern Ireland, uh, outside a town called Dungiven that nobody in England has ever heard of when I tried to introduce myself. So I just always locate myself by saying Derry instead. It's near Derry. Um, but yeah, so my school never offered uh, Latin, Greek, didn't do ancient history. There was no classical civilization or anything. So really, I didn't really know that studying classics was an option until I was like 16, 17 and starting to think about uni and my school was really supportive and uh, suggested that I think about Oxford or something for university and I really enjoyed the humanities so I really loved English and history Um, and as I was sort of looking at the website I think it was my mum suggested classics because she'd done uh, Latin uh, O level or GCSE and she brought up the website and had a look at it. And I distinctly remember at that point being like, whoa, I didn't know ancient Greek existed. I didn't know that survived. I thought we just had Latin and that Greek was just gone. So that was really cool to find out. Um, but yeah, the, and then I think what solidified it was that I studied Antony and Cleopatra for A-level, Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra play. And then just looking into the background of that, I started reading Plutarch's Lives. And yeah, just had no idea that all this literature was out there. And then, yeah, like that sort of carried on. And one of my teachers suggested that I apply for Unique, one of the summer schools. And I put down, I think I put down English as my first option because I didn't think I would get into the classics course because I'd never studied it before. But the, uh, yeah, the classics summer school took me on and I spent a week learning Greek and studying all sorts of stuff. Um, Yeah, haven't looked back since. It's just been amazing. What a fantastic journey. Um, And Sarah? 
Yeah, funnily enough, I think I'm kind of like a combination of Jenith and, and Peter in some ways. So um, for me, it was, uh, I realise you're only recording the audio of this, but it was actually this book that I had when I was a child, which is a really amazing illustrated version of the Odyssey, which I kind of obsessively read over and over again. Um, and, you know, the, the images are, are really evocative as well as a, a kind of a good transition for kids that kind of really got me into it. Um, and I think that uh, probably that was where it all started. That was my classic sort of gateway moment, um, reading that. And then I went to a school where I was able to study Latin and there was no Greek, uh, but there was a chance to, to study Latin. Um, and I had a really inspirational teacher um, called John Riley, who's a bit of a, a local celeb uh, in North Belfast, uh, where I grew up, um, because he also ran the school's Duke of Edinburgh's award. So he kind of combined Latin and outdoor walking <laughs> in quite a unique way. Um, and yeah, he was really amazing at kind of opening it up a little bit beyond just the language. So GCSE Latin's quite kind of, you know, language focused, but actually John was was brilliant to kind of bringing in, you know, what it was like to um, to live in ancient Rome and religion, um, you know, kind of all, all of that background material really kind of brought it alive for us, I think. And um, he was certainly one of the most popular teachers in the school. Um, and he also taught a-level classical civilization, which you had the chance to do um, even if you hadn't done Latin earlier on in the school. And that's where I discovered more Greek literature. So he taught us Aristophanes in translation. And I think that was what really made me think, right, I've got to do this at university. I'm not ready to sort of, you know, leave this behind. Yeah, it's great to hear those influences. And also, like you say, reading translations of classical texts as another kind of gateway into the classics if you're not able to study those languages. I know that they've recently published a report, I think Language Trends have done a survey that only this year into provision of languages in, in primary schools in particular, as well as secondary in Northern Ireland. And it, you know, it shows that I think only 1% of, of the languages studied at Key Stage 3, so in secondary school, are Latin, and there's no sign of, of Greek at all. So the provision is, is a real problem and I don't know what your thoughts are on perhaps how that can be combated but also how if, if, you're a, if you're a young student in Northern Ireland and you aren't able to study those languages what are some of the other ways that, that they can engage with the ancient world and discover that passion that, that you all found in one way or another? Yeah I don't mind hopping in first I guess. Um, yeah I, I, I think there's so much stuff that I know now that I really wish I'd known as a student or stuff I wish I'd been there like there's a really amazing like uh, classical association in Northern Ireland that does like a language summer school in Belfast and I went once when I was still at university because I picked up Latin halfway through I did Greek first and then Latin um, and then I went to the, the the summer school in Belfast for a week and did Latin it was just brilliant and there's just such supportive people that run it um Helen McVeigh I think is head of it and she's just fantastic so that's just an amazing resource that if I'd known that was there in high school because I always I I tried to like buy a book and teach myself Latin and Greek but it just didn't really work out as a 16 year old also trying to do like GCSEs and A-levels and also wondering what on earth all these grammatical terms meant I just had no idea but yeah that sort of stuff and then I don't know, I find another really amazing gateway into it, especially from a Northern Irish perspective. It's just like Northern Irish writers, there's been a real kind of uptick, I guess. Like there's Michael Hughes has written a like rewritten the Iliad, but from the perspective of the Troubles, and it's just super moving and really well written. And then also Seamus Heaney's works, of course. He's translated the Aeneid Book Six and is so beautiful, but it's also, I don't know, I just find it really powerful that it's written in a voice from home like Northern Irish writers just write in such a different way and it just really reminded me that I don't know as Northern Irish people we have we have something different to bring to the table something important and it's just really nice to see that connection to home as well with the classical tradition. I, th I think I would say also that the, the I mean obviously the classical languages are really important for the subject but on the other hand, they're not the be all and end all. And you know, you can you can you can study the ancient world to a very advanced level without feeling you have to become you know become uh, anyway proficient in reading ancient ancient Greek and, and Latin. Uh, don't ask how many of us who work in classical archaeology are <laughs> uh, really accomplished in these languages. Uh, so it's one you know, there's so many different aspects of uh, of classical civilization which. Uh, are illuminating and exciting and you know, challenge all kinds of expectations about the ancient world. 
without language being a barrier. And that, and there's so much more available now. You know, even when uh, I was growing up, uh, online resources and, as Jen has said, by the, the classical association, there's a lot more going on. So I think you know, it's it's there. I think if anyone it, it, it thinks they might be tempted to pursue these subjects, there's so much available to explore, and I don't think anyone should feel that there's, there's some kind of psychological barrier there about languages excluding them from the subject. Yeah, no, I'd absolutely agree with that. And I think, you know, maybe one of the good uh, few good side effects of the pandemic that we've all been through is that there are so much more available online now, you know, so lectures and kind of discussion groups and um, reading groups all happening kind of over Zoom so people can join in from from all over the world, because I know I felt, Jennifer, I don't know if you felt this, um, as well, kind of growing up in Northern Ireland, that there was a lot of exciting stuff happening on the mainland in London and kind of a lot of my peers at, at Oxford when I arrived had been to the British Museum loads of times and had kind of been to plays in London that were based on classic stuff. And, you know, I was kind of like, hmm, <laughs> I'm not sure there's much going on in, in Northern Ireland of that sort. But I think now, you know, there's so much more virtual tours of museums and virtual tours of exhibitions and stuff that at least people can kind of um, you know, join in from without like, having to kind of fly over, um, which is maybe not still not very accessible for everyone. No, I completely agree. I realise this is an audio podcast, but I was like nodding vigorously <laughs> along to that. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of, I, I also remember going up to the Ulster Museum and like asking one of the attendants, as like a really keen teenager, I was like, do you have any Roman coins or anything? And they were like, oh, we don't think so. <laughs> But I, I think they do somewhere in their collection, but the attendant that I asked did not really know. But yeah, it, it does definitely, like in school, it definitely did feel like that. And especially whenever I went over on Unique and talked to people from England and listened to the sort of stuff like that they had, um, like different weekends and taster sessions and stuff running in London, especially. It just, it does make you feel very jealous of all that happening but but yeah like you say like the upside of the pandemic is that there's a lot more online now and stuff just posted on twitter and everything it's just all over social media so yeah i'd be interested then in how your attitude to classics in the ancient world perhaps altered as you came across to england and also how was it your subject that influenced you to decide to apply to english universities or was it a kind of combination of different factors yeah i mean i think Queen's University of Belfast stopped doing classics the year I was applying in 2003 so I came to Oxford in 2003 to start my undergraduate degree so it wasn't possible for me to stay at home if I wanted to do classics and that was a really tough decision so I remember most of my friends who did apply to English or Scottish universities had Belfast in there as well and they sort of gave them a bit more time to decide if they were ready to move away and you know they, they at least had that option then of, of pursuing their course at home and, and we didn't you know the classicists uh, or aspiring classicists among us didn't have that option so that was a big blow and I think it is a big problem for the subject in the province to be honest as a, as a whole that you know it means that you have to be willing to or able to move away from home and not everybody is you know willing uh, or able to do that you know whether it might be financial reasons or they don't want they're not ready to move move away from home or um, they want to stay in Northern Ireland so I think that's a that's a really big thing um, I think probably the big thing for me was when I arrived in Oxford realizing the sheer breadth of classics so all I'd been exposed to really was literature so and a little bit of history uh, but very much text-based you're reading a little bit of Latin in the original because I did do did have the chance to do A level and GCSE Latin but then reading Aristophanes in the Odyssey and the Aeneid in English for class save A level and then suddenly arriving over and realizing that there's kind of you know archaeology and um philosophy and epigraphy and papyrology and that it just kind of there was more and more layers to classics you know every kind of year I studied it I discovered something new and I thought that was incredibly exciting so I remember feeling like this is the kind of subject you could study forever and never get to the the bottom of it. Yeah it's one of the advantages of being in a in a larger department as well as a university student uh, you know when I was growing up I had a very a very piecemeal impression of what classics was about you know I was I, I'd come to really love Greek tragedies and translation and I, I was consistently interested in in archaeology and in the Latin language but I, I mean I think it was it was just little glimpses of the the subject despite the fact I'll confess it now I, I had an older brother uh, five years older than me who had studied 
classics at, uh, at Cambridge as well. He had quite different interests from me. But I think, I, I mean, I, I, despite that, I still don't think I completely understood what university was about uh, or, or what studying classics there uh, would be. So really, for me, it was just, a, you know, an ex expansion of this incredibly exciting and complicated discipline, uh, which is really, really stimulating. Yeah, um, like like I said beforehand, um, it was kind of a steep learning curve, learning what classics kind of was from not knowing that ancient Greek was a thing like a year before I like did my interview to like arriving. So yeah, when I got there, it was, uh, it was just a bit of a culture shock in general coming from somewhere so rural in Northern Ireland than to, I mean, Oxford feels like a big city to me still. Um, but to other people from London, it doesn't. But yeah, and then uh, ex expanding what classics was to me, I really agree with what what Sarah said because like my perspective was so much about the literature, like through what the tiny snippets that I read, and then whenever I was doing my mods, which are like the first set of exams that you do in your. Um, if you're just doing the straight classics degree. Uh, one of my tutors suggested I look at some of the archaeology papers and that quickly became one of my favourite parts of the course. I did a Greek vases paper and I took another one for my finals and it was just, I just loved it. And I think the biggest thing for me was when I went and applied, I viewed it as a, this is basically doing a joint history English degree for me because I couldn't decide between the two for what I wanted to study at uni and I thought oh classics is a good way to combine it but then once I got here I realized it's kind of it's more of a, a study of an entire culture or cultures all around the Mediterranean world and loads of different people and studying how all of they them lived and like social history and all of that so yeah expanding it way way beyond what I ever conceived it to be beforehand. And you can see that so strongly in all of your differing research interests now. I know, Sarah, you've gone from having done some Latin at the beginning to, you know, your research, particularly on Greek literature, Peter, from doing classics over you know, finding ever more in archaeology and art and all the different cultural influences that come with that. And Janice, you're now doing English and have kind of incorporated that throughout throughout all of your degrees. I'm interested in too in how you got into the medieval part for your for your masters. Can you tell us a bit more about your your kind of whole classics journey, which is just so so interesting? <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it has been a bit good twisty rose to where I've gotten to. So so yeah, during during my degree, yeah, I also I really want to pick up on what Peter said as well. It's not just about languages, the degree as well. I didn't do any classical languages before I started. And I kind of struggled with both. I, I really enjoyed both Latin and Greek, but I did struggle um, trying to learn both of them within four years and then also sit the same exams as everyone else. But anyway, because of that, I was kind of thinking for my options. Uh, I wanted to do a dissertation so that I wasn't too focused on just the exams and stuff. And yeah, and then I started reading about... Uh, I don't know how I came across it, but I basically found out about a medieval saga written in Ireland called uh, Toynbo Kunga, which is the cattle raid of Cooley. And someone had summed it up as Ireland's Iliad. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I wrote, I wrote an undergrad dissertation on kind of that and the use of classics in medieval Ireland and specifically the influence of Virgil in medieval Ireland and really enjoyed that and uh, learnt Old Irish with the English department. They were really open that they just said turn up to the classes, see what you think. Uh, I loved it so much I really wanted to do a master's on it and continue my research and now uh, yeah, I did that last year during the pandemic, which was uh, fun. <laughs> but yeah, and now uh, and then I learnt Middle Welsh during that year as well. So now I'm writing my, yeah, my DPhil's hosted by the English faculty, but it's a comparative study of medieval Irish and Welsh historical writing and thinking about that and, uh, but also a lot of classical reception. And that's so I'm thinking a lot about Sallust in the Middle Ages and how he was read. But yeah, I still definitely use all my stuff for my classics degree and it, like it, it just opened up so many different avenues of research and it really, um, because I learned Latin during that as well, it's also helped me a lot for my research. Now I'm reading medieval Latin. It's just been so, so fun to, to continue that, but also in a way that um, I can bring it back to like where I live and my home and research more about that and learn more languages, which is cool. I, I love the way you talk about, you know, the challenge of learning Latin and Greek, but then you just went on collecting them. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it obviously gives you a good foundation. Yeah, I mean, I it helps that I didn't have to sit an exam in Old Irish. Old Irish is extremely hard. I guess it kind of helps because once you do something, it's just a different language family. Like Celtic languages are so different to classical languages. Then you go back and sit your Thucydides exam and you're like, okay, that was hard, but it wasn't as hard as doing that. Um, but yeah, it definitely like, and that's one of the things about classics as well. It gives you, once you have the foundation in Latin and Greek, should you choose to learn them, um, if that's part of what you want to do, it gives you such a foundation for other languages. It really, really helps. So. I mean, I haven't grappled with Old Irish, but I've definitely found that to be the case then when I moved on to do my PhD at Oxford and they suddenly sprung on us all uh, that we had to do exams in French and German and Italian uh, to prove that we could read scholarship in those languages, which, you know, when you sort of apply for a DPhil or a PhD in classics, you think, oh, I'm going to be doing my good Greek literature that I've signed up for and think suddenly you've got to do these exams. So I had to kind of go to these weekly lessons of French and German for classicists and I definitely find the Latin and Greek kind of there sort of deeply buried sometimes but definitely there as a scaffolding to help um so yeah that was a kind of unexpected benefit I guess of having done the, the classical languages. Certainly I'm interested in how you feel like kind of your, your background has, has fed into your research and your work and and especially when we look at the historical and political context to classics and and the breadth that we've already covered that it encompasses. Yeah, I mean, I think that Jenneth really touched on this um, earlier, but that um, I completely agree with what she said about um, the relevance of classical literature for understanding the Northern Ireland conflict. And I'm 35, so I kind of missed the really bad part of the troubles, but I definitely, much more so than maybe someone 10 or 15 years younger, my childhood was really coloured by um, things like bomb scares or um, you know kind of protests and kind of protests around the um, orange marches that happen every summer and kind of a lot of violence around that so um, you know there was a big army presence on the streets of Northern Ireland when I was growing up which stopped in 1999 after the Good Friday Agreement but it was normal to see tanks rolling on the streets very heavily armed British soldiers and I think there's a lot of classical literature that looks at kind of conflict and occupation and the kind of collateral damage of um, war or civil war that really spoke to me so I think probably rather than being from Northern Ireland affecting my research it's almost like my reading of classical literature has helped me understand more what it means to be from Northern Ireland and to help me understand the kind of conflict more and put it into context and I think there's a you know there's a real movement for that now so I don't know if um, any of the Peter or Jenneth have read the novel Country um, which is a kind of version of the Iliad so an, a, a prose novel and it, I mean it was incredible so it sort of took the, the Iliad and kind of rewrote it based in Northern Ireland and I, I thought it was just a tour de force um, and, and, and so so interesting as a way of exploring all of the the issues around the the conflict in Northern Ireland. I sort of want to answer your question by saying that, uh, no, my background has, hasn't been relevant to my research at all, really, because I'm looking at big sort of global questions about connections between ancient art traditions and so on. And, and really, you know, no matter how big the subject is or how unrelated it might appear to be, uh, from the things that are closest to you and your background, actually there is a kind of deeper relevance. So I wanted to say all of that, but then immediately I started thinking, and actually, you know, a large part of my research has been on culture in the provinces of the Roman Empire, <laughs> Roman provincial art, uh, art in Roman Britain, for example. And I have thought a lot in my research actually about, about, <laughs> about what it means to be on the fringe of other countries or to you know to be provincial to have a provincial culture within some kind of bigger entity uh, so uh, I think probably on a on a deeper level that has been relevant as well. Yeah that's super interesting <laughs> and how it actually kind of doesn't first spring to mind but the more you consider it then the, the more thinking there is behind what have obviously been real passions for you and you've explored as you've gone on throughout your career. What are some of the interdisciplinary connections that, I, that all three of you, I think, have, have, have drawn and, en and enjoyed discovering? Are there any particular examples that, you know, that really excite you and interest you? 
the classics as a discipline is inherently interdisciplinary. You know, as Jennifer was saying, it's the study of a whole, a whole culture, the uh, whole society in, in, with all its facets in, interlinked with each other. But it's also an incredibly accommodating subject. Uh, it's very flexible. So I am interested in connections between. Greek and Roman culture and other cultures of the ancient world, to the extent that a lot of what I'm working on at the moment is, you know, ancient Buddhist art in the area of what's now Pakistan, uh, and its connections with the, the Greco-Roman world, or uh, connections between ancient China and the classical world. And I do these things in Oxford, and nobody bats an eyelid. You know, it's like, I don't think it's cross anyone's mind that what I do might not be classics. <laughs> so it's almost like, you know, you can test the boundaries of the subject and, and, and you actually discover that whatever direction your academic journey takes you in, it's still somehow part of classics as a discipline. And it's still rooted, it still has that sort of centre of gravity in uh, core aspects of Greek and Roman culture in the Mediterranean world, but it's uh, incredibly um, accommodating uh, uh, gives you gives you a foundation for, for basically anything you might be interested in arising from that. Do you think in some ways then it would be better if there were a different word than classics for describing the breadth of the subject or does it actually give us that that flexibility and that those boundaries are, are malleable enough under under the heading? I was thinking about that after uh, seeing a sort of debate on Twitter about it. And I think probably in some ways the term classics isn't very helpful. I also found that when in a practical level as an undergraduate, it doesn't so much happen now, but as an undergraduate, when I went home to Northern Ireland and said I studied classics, people would be like, music? No. Oh, Jane Austen then? No. <laughs> you know, cars? <laughs> Definitely not. You know, and it, I think it's not a, a word that kind of explains what the subject is in a way um, very helpfully, unlike almost every other subject that you can study at university. So I think I'll probably be quite pro um, changing the, the name to something else and potentially something more, um, more inclusive that reflects the fact that the study of, um, you know, the, of ancient worlds or ancient cultures can and must encompass so much more than study of just ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Um, and I think, you know, that that kind of interdisciplinarity or breadth that that might bring of kind of knitting together classics with other um, branches of ancient um, study, you know, ancient worlds, ancient culture could, can only be a good thing, really. I think there are some advantages, though, in having a word that sort of, you know, doesn't inherently mean anything <laughs> because you can reinvent it. You can apply it to all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, I mean, it, 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 the word classics, it, it does have its problems and it has a lot of baggage with it. You know, certainly in the past, it's been regarded as a sort of, you know, countries up images of a sort of elitist education. And, and it's been brought home to me as well. I, recently, I've, I've written a number of things that were to be translated into Chinese, and although there are equivalent words, for, you know, for, uh, for you know, for, for cla the classical the equivalent of classical, uh, you always have to qualify it to make it clear you're not talking about Chinese classical culture, but rather you know Greco-Roman culture. So I find myself using the term Greco-Roman a lot more, but at the same time, none of the alternatives to classics, like Greco-Roman studies, ancient Mediterranean studies, or whatever it might be, none of them seem to me actually to, to encapsulate all the things that are important for this discipline in its modern form. So, so again, I think some, sometimes just having this weird word classics as a handle for the subject can be, uh, can be useful. I think the, the risk that we need to avoid is that people start to think of it as a kind of, I've noticed more and more in the last year or two, journalists talking about the classics, uh, which kind of conjures up uh, an image of a, you know, a sort of range of, of canonical literary texts or something like that, the classic books that we must study, which couldn't be more uh, different from what the discipline actually is. So uh, we need to try and avoid that kind of pitfall. Yeah, I don't have too much more to add. I think both of you have said it, but yeah, it's really funny that I've had the exact same experience as Sarah, where 
um it was someone at a restaurant uh, was coming to take her order um my mum and dad were so proud that I just got my offer and he, they were like oh what are you studying and I was like classics and he was like oh I love Jane Austen like she's the best and I was like uh not quite but <laughs> try again but yeah yeah I think there's a I don't I'm personally a fan of maybe ancient world studies or something just because of that and a kind of change but uh I think there's some really good discussions happening on Twitter and in different departments at the moment and yeah I'm just excited to see where the discipline takes itself and how yeah how, how this goes. I'd just be interested to know what Peter and Jenna think of the the kind of concerns that, that people have that are being raised um, in debates on Twitter that classics is inherently um, kind of white supremacist or um, or racist in its in its actual conception. I mean, is that a concern that that you have felt um, as sort of students of and then teachers of the subject? It's definitely something. Well, I mean, if if you're on Twitter as well, there's definitely been a reckoning of medieval studies as well, especially with the use of the term Anglo-Saxon. And so it's been something I've obviously thought about being in in both of those subjects. And I don't know. It's it's I obviously don't have an answer to to it because obviously if we did, then it would be all solved. But it's such a complicated question. Um, but what I do know is that there's some really exciting and amazing work, especially going on at the university by like uh, the Christian Coal Society. So I'm really keen to support all of that work and everything that's that's happening. Um, but I do think we have to kind of reckon with the background of the subject and the history of the subject because it doesn't. Yeah, I, I think just ignoring it isn't the approach. The answer is kind of working together and supporting each other in that. Yeah, I'm going to go with your answer. I don't really have a solution. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I think one of the things that has made this, uh, it, it's actually it impeded the discussion to some extent, is that there's, you know, big difference in perspective, particularly, you know, on opposite sides of the Atlantic. You know, some of the, some of the language that is used in the critiquing classics as a discipline in America, which is is kind of targeted particularly at a, at a kind of image of classics as a, you know, as, as the study of, you know, Western civilization or something. That makes a lot less sense in the context of British classics. And, you know, so we're sometimes struggling to compute what that's all about, even though for many years, I think there's been a lot of soul searching within classics in this country uh, about its, uh, you know, about all the you know, inequalities, uh, prejudices that are embedded in the discipline and its history. You know, there is there is common ground there, and I think a sort of common consensus about the need for critical reflection about the discipline and about many other disciplines of the humanities as well. But um, I think some of the headlines can be a distraction from you know getting into the getting into the complexity of those debates and you know try, trying to work out you know in tighter contexts what the problems actually are uh you know what their what their legacy is and how you address that and how do you think that we can as oxford classics here represented by people at all kind of stages within within their careers of, of being classicists and encountering the different subjects too how can we make the the discipline more accessible but also more appealing trying to show the light in between the, the headlines um and and the positivity around the subject and the importance as we said of debate and of thinking critically about about our discipline to young people around both northern ireland and around the rest of the uk i'm going to say i don't think you need to make the subject any more appealing <laughs> i think it's i think it's intrinsically appealing and exciting and fascinating and uh, not just for a small group of people who have got into it but actually much more widely you only have to look at the popularity of you know some of the television programs dealing with archaeology or ancient history or you know the celebrity of Mary Beard and some other colleagues, for example, who've you know brought this subject wide audiences. You know, there's a real thirst actually from people of all kinds of different ages and different places for finding out about the ancient world. And I, I think that the challenge for us is perhaps to to tap into that, but also to try and demonstrate that you know, maybe some of the imagined barriers to studying it professionally you know aren't real obstacles and uh you know i think i think oxford sometimes has particular problems because 
there's a lot of Oxford bashing that goes on. <laughs> there's a kind of stereotype of Oxford as an exclusive place. And it's repeated in a slightly lazy way, sometimes in the media, and dare I say, by politicians over and over again, which, you know, probably reinforces it. And I think, I think we need to get the message out to people that, that actually that, you know, Oxford, Oxford classics isn't, isn't one thing that all kinds of people come here to study this subject, whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever you are, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's a place for you in Oxford, potentially studying these subjects that you don't need to have any preconceptions about what kind of person can come uh, and, and study classics here. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things very striking, and I guess the background to this, uh, to, to these podcasts is that, Oxford attracts people from all over the world to, to study uh, classics, uh, particularly uh, international students and postgraduate level especially, uh, at, but at undergraduate level disproportionately from certain parts of England. Uh, so we've got international students and we've got the south of England. <laughs> and, and really this should be a place for, for people who are enthusiastic about the subject from, from, uh, from every part of the country. Um, so I think, you know, exercises like this are, are valuable in trying to get that message out. Yeah, I have to agree as well from from a from a purely Northern Irish point of view as well. And like fairly recent from leaving school, I guess, although it's now been like seven years, maybe not that recent. But I think one of the main barriers for coming from Northern Ireland to going to Oxford was the perception either about not getting in or not belonging as you say Peter like everyone at my school was like it's just going to be full of posh English people why would you want to go there also the the fees barrier as well is a massive thing you pay half the amount of fees to go to Belfast or anywhere in Northern Ireland for uni and that's a big deal to people you know that's a big financial barrier that's in place that I think needs to be addressed a bit more talked about a bit more um and then yeah I I was particularly thinking about it before this podcast, and I think it's it's definitely a general approach of English universities in general to Northern Ireland, but there's no sort of sustained engagement or kind of explanation of how to apply to uni in England, why you should apply to uni in England, and then for classics in particular, why you should study humanities. I think that's a massive barrier back home, because I distinctly remember in my physics class, a boy I was chatting to one of the boys in my physics class about going to Oxford. I just got my offer and he said to me, oh, it's such a waste that you're not studying science there. I was like, OK, <laughs> like but at the time I was like, that was just the, the done attitude. It was like, if you're not studying science or maths, there's no point. And I think we were really missing a trick by not explaining how many transferable skills you can get from your degree from a purely cynical point of view but just how enjoyable the discipline is how varied it is the directions you can go and yeah it just doesn't limit you in in any way like even like a science degree might yeah there was just whenever I was in school it was really like once every two years there'd be an Oxford day talk I think there's something a bit more sustained but yeah it just kind of felt like it was like an axe an access program was like oh we'll do one day in Northern Ireland a year and then that's us done you know we've done our thing but something sustained and more of a relationship with the schools in Northern Ireland I think would have a massive impact of just knowing yeah knowing what's going on having a contact and knowing what's happening because you're too shy as a teenager to ask those questions in one day but if you have a sort of sustained thing I think it'll be better but anyway that's that's also just a general approach of English universities to Northern Ireland in general. So much of that kind of resonates with me. Um, I think um, probably there are two strands that I would pick out from, from my perspective. I spent 10 years in teaching and secondary education before I came back to Oxford a couple of years ago to, to work at um, the faculty and at Wadham. Um, so I think I've kind of seen this from a, a teaching perspective too and what kind of motivates pupils to apply for different degrees or what are their concerns and I think um, thinking about Northern Ireland in particular, there is a, a real, um, I think, a culture there of valuing practical, pragmatic subjects, so STEM subjects or subjects that directly lead to a career. So I had a lot of people telling me, oh, you know, but you're really bright. Why don't you do law? You know, why don't you do something that 
really obviously leads to a kind of professional career and people kind of were a bit suspicious about what you could actually do you know with with classics and then I think this was less of an issue when I went to university but with the level of fees the way they are now so you're paying nine thousand pounds a year I think there's a lot of concern you know from some parents again they want their if their their children are going to get into a lot of debt for university again they think well why not do something more practical in inverted commas so I think communication about what a humanities degree or what a classics degree can offer you know the pupils the applicants and and to reassure the parents you know what what kinds of careers and opportunities are possible after that that don't just involve being a classics teacher or staying on to do a classics phd as wonderful as obviously those things are and i think um that's where kind of communication about how uh, multidisciplinary the classics is um could be really helpful so that it's not just um, one thing, as Peter said, but involves, you know, the possibility of studying loads of different things, um, which could, each of which could lead on to, to, to multiple career paths and, and give you other skills, uh, you know, thinking about the kind of practical sort of archaeology uh, side of things. So I've got a friend who did classics who now um, does kind of practical archaeology for um, new development. So he kind of searches for anything important historically. And that's what he did with his classics degree. Um, you know, so you don't have to end up as a kind of as a classics teacher. You know, there's, there's lots of different things you can do. And, and, and looking back, I realized, you know, you, you got a lot of advice from relatives and from teachers. Uh, often quite negative advice. You know, I, I remember teachers, you know, being science teachers, for example, being shocked when they heard that somebody wanted to study Latin or whatever. You know, what, what on earth is he thinking? Um, <clears throat> there's <clears throat> sort of well-meaning advice, which is often <laughs> based on very limited knowledge or, or a kind of knowledge of one example, you know, sort of anecdotal information about somebody who went to a particular university or whatever. And, and, and so, you know, I would want to encourage people, you know, potential students, but also their, their families, actually actually find out more about what's really involved from a particular university they're interested in or, or just in the discipline in general, rather than just you know jumping to conclusions. Yeah, just off the back of that as well, I think the thing that just completely changed my my whole application or the, the chances of my application was going on unique and going to Oxford for a week like that scheme was so so helpful to me and breaking all the perceptions that I have because as you say Peter you get loads of people thinking that they're an expert in what England and Oxford is going to be like and they don't have a clue like uh, another friend at school thought that you had to wear a sub fusk to all your lectures and everything and that was the reason that she didn't apply because she didn't want to wear a uniform all day and it was it's stuff like that but yeah it, it would just be great like schemes like that are so good and amazing but it would be great as well if there was more of of coming like not expecting northern irish students to come to oxford or to do all of that but a bit more meeting meeting us on our own ground i think that would be really really cool and helpful yeah that's an excellent idea so you didn't all have to wear subfusk uh, every day, but what were some of the highlights of your Oxford experience, whether that be a academically or um, socially or any kind of aspect of, of your Oxford time as a student or as a tutor or teacher that really stands out to you? I'll jump in. Um, so I think for me, the most uh, exciting thing uh, and the most memorable thing that I did as a student here was actually when I was a master's student and I did a module in papyrology. And so I was taught how to um, to read the different scripts on ancient papyri and kind of uh, make uh, transcripts of them and, and work out what, you know, what text they were from or whether they were, they might be a literary text, of course, these papyri, or they could um, equally be a what we call a documentary uh, papyrus, which is a kind of um, a non-literary written record of something from the ancient world. So um, people kind of sometimes sarcastically say it's a shopping list, but it could be something a bit more interesting than, than a shopping list, so a legal document or a letter or something like that. And I just find that completely fascinating. It was completely different from the sort of City diluted way. I think a lot of um, people who work on literature, like myself, you know, we normally use modern editions that you take off the shelf in the library. They're like any other book, and of course, the the content and the material is 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 amazing and inspiring, and it's what keeps us coming back. But that direct connection with the ancient world, which of course will be much more familiar to someone like Peter, um, who works with um, objects, was was just completely thrilling for me. So to hold a papyrus between glass, don't worry, safely preserved from the oils in my hands, but to hold a kind of ancient papyrus that had been written by a person in you know 
the second century BC and to, to read it and then to kind of compare that to other versions of that literary text that we have and realize that this was a different version of Aristophanes' Thesmophoria's Usai or this is a different version of Homer's Iliad with an extra line in it. it was just it was absolutely incredible and it made me feel so connected to the ancient world in a way that I think I hadn't before you know despite the fact that um, I was already deeply invested in it. Yeah I have a kind of from a classics perspective like I have a very similar kind of story to to Sarah as well like um uh whenever I did my Greek vases paper from Wads I was taught by uh, a professor called Thomas Panic and we did a practical handling session in uh one of the rooms in the uh classics faculty it's kind of linked to the Ashmolean and yeah it was just we were just holding vase fragments and looking at them and like it was like a little thing about whether you could like date them from the, the paintings on the side or the shapes or whatever. But I remember holding one piece and he, he told me to flip it over and there was fingerprints from the potter, like the potter who had made it. And it was just such a moment of being like, like this is studying like a culture and actual people, like these people lived like over 2000 years ago and I'm holding part of their work that they made that may have been super important to them, may not have been, but it was so, just really really cool to have it like come alive in that moment and then as I was doing that uh John Boardman just walked past who is like the expert in Greek vases written loads of books I just read all of his books that term and I was just like this is a really cool place to study classics there's just a lot going on here um but yeah and then Oxford in general just like formal halls and just being in such beautiful settings and just meeting meeting such amazing people I'm choosing loads of best things about Oxford here but I, I know that I've made friends for life here and that's just so incredible and yeah and doing lots of sport as well like I took up rowing for the first time I'm not sure that anyone or that I would have been able to do that at any other university so yeah it's just lots and lots of fun times as well as studying. <laughs> I was never a student in Oxford, but I, I was uh, attracted to, uh, to come and work here 10 years ago, partly because, you know, I knew it to be the, the biggest classics department in the world and the biggest concentration of classical archaeologists as well, or uh, more specifically people studying uh, Greek and Roman art. Uh, so it's very exci exciting to come into that kind of community of people with shared interests. But I mean, one of the amazing things about Oxford is because it's so big in certain subjects like classics, that, you know, no matter how obscure your interests are, <laughs> or, uh, you know, you know, if you think there's something that's really idiosyncratic and only you are thinking about it, it's quite likely that you'll find people to talk to in Oxford. And in my first week working here, just, you know, Socially, I, I met six people who studied the Sogdians. Now, nobody listening to this will know who the Sogdians are. <laughs> the ancient people who inhabited, you know, parts of Central Asia, Uzbekistan and Tajikistan are there. So six people, six Sogdian experts I met in that first week, and they didn't even know each other, <laughs> but they were working in different parts uh, of Oxford. So it's not even just about the faculty of classics, it's, it's about people with intersecting interests in different departments and in different colleges. And that just makes it so exciting and it creates all kinds of opportunities as well that, uh, that you simply wouldn't have anywhere else. I mean, I think that's sort of true too of the way that I teach here now and we all teach here, but I've personally, because I've come from teaching in a school to big classes of kind of 24 or 30 and then teaching now in very small tutorial groups or maybe even one-on-one -on -one if someone's chosen something a little bit niche, is that, you know, I feel that my students are sort of very intimately involved in my research and that, you know, I have these conversations with very, very bright, very engaged students about the literature and, you know, kind of spark ideas off each other and uh, you know I get the privilege of being involved in their classical journey and seeing them develop all of these ideas about the the text that we're studying and then in turn you know they kind of help shape my ideas so I think that's that and that's so stimulating to you know and I obviously had that experience as a as an undergraduate as well from the other side and I remember thinking you know I'm coming into a tutorial with Richard Rutherford who's written you know how many books on Homer and he's listening to what I have to say about Homer and kind of reading my essay on Homer you know how, how great is that and I get to have this hour-long conversation with him about uh, about this uh, um, you know these ancient texts which he is an expert on um, so I think that that aspect of it as well is just completely thrilling and keeps keeps being so 
um, even now as a as a teacher here. Yeah, and of course, I should have said that the students are the best part. <laughs> but it's true, the students are brilliant, really brilliant. Uh, uh, it's one of the real pleasures of the job. Yeah, I was just going to say as well, there's so many moments when I was in tutorials in like beautiful old rooms in colleges and just discussing just any aspect of the ancient world that I, I wanted to, like classical Athens or Rome and stuff. And being in the moment thinking, like, I'm so lucky to be able to do this. This is just so cool and so much fun. So, yeah. And as you say, the respect, I think, that is built between students and tutors, that it's very much a two way conversation. And as you said, you, you know, you're learning from each other. And it's often, I think, for people, sometimes the first time they've experienced that or you when you arrive, you think, oh, my gosh, these these are tutors and they're so far above me and they know everything and I couldn't possibly engage in the conversation. They'll never listen to my ideas. And yet you actually do have those great moments. And that's the, the real bent, the power of the tutorial system and being able to not only have that conversation with an expert, but to learn from each other too is is fantastic. I think that moment when you realise too, which you know, I still remember the the first moment I realised I was allowed to disagree with the secondary literature, and that you know, my my tutor not only kind of uh, you know would allow that, but was encouraging me to 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 critique the secondary literature and to say actually, you know, this person might be a kind of a great scholar of you know the, the 20th century but you know ideas have moved on now and how we study classics and you know what are the flaws in his argument and to be empowered to do that and to, to be able to kind of take your own position as well is just um, I find that really kind of uh, a really stimulating part of, of learning classics here. Yeah I guess I don't know if there is a final note to end on I think I think speaking specifically to Northern Irish people I think as as a country we were all so is modest the word I don't know or just like just not there's like this whole culture of being like no I don't think I can do this so I won't even apply to to Oxford or whatever it is and I would just say go for it like this is like Oxford has honestly changed my life and the way I think and the people that I've met here have just been incredible like outside of anything to do with the course but the course classics course was fantastic as well so I just really encourage anyone to give it a go just go for it apply for unique if you can and like see see if it fits you and you won't you know there's only one way to find out really by, by having a having a stab at it so yeah yeah I totally agree with that yeah, absolutely. I think that um, it's definitely true that there's a kind of a national tendency uh, to be told by parents and maybe even teachers not to put yourself forward and not to kind of disagree with people. So I remember we watched a video in school that came from an Oxford admissions uh, team and uh, the girl in the video disagreed with her interviewers and sort of said no I don't do you know I think it was actually for law she was applying for and she kind of took an opposite stance and my teacher said well I wouldn't advise any of you to do that in your interviews you know it's the fastest way to get rejected so I think you know <laughs> there's definitely I would agree with Jenna if there is that sort of uh, tendency to modesty and uh, to be uh, warred against and uh, just have a go and, and come along and see what you think. Exactly. Well, do come along and see what you think. Thank you so much to all three of you for a fabulous conversation and discussion and for taking part in this episode of Regional Classics. And thank you for listening.